So I want to ask you this morning, what do you do when things go wrong? And stay wrong, perhaps for a very long time. There was once a person I knew uh, many few years ago from a, another congregation who ordinarily they, uh, in their personality, were an upbeat, a chirpy type of person. They had a pleasant and a, and a happy character, actually. They were easy to talk to and, and get along with, and I enjoyed many conversations with them. Maybe you know one or two or three individuals who might fit such a description. But then someone close to them got sick, very sick, with a prolonged sickness, one that just wasn't going to go away any time soon. And understandably, as the months rolled on, the weight of the situation took its toll. This person was actually still remarkably positive and despite their situation, but was understandably not as chirpy or upbeat as he used to be. There was no avoiding it. The situation was dire and the burden heavy. Such times bring a certain heaviness that can easily overshadow all of life, create a grayness to life. The world turns gray, maybe even black, leaving us feeling without hope, without life, without any sense of comfort, and even without God, feeling like he has utterly abandoned us and left us to simply wallow in our sorrows, a feeling perhaps more widespread than we might care to admit or realize. Speaking about this times of desperation and feeling abandoned, one commentator writes this. He says, As a result of counseling people over more than two decades of my ministry, I am convinced that a feeling of abandonment is far more common than it appears to be. Many people feel abandoned by others first, but ultimately also by God. I find that counselors confirm this. A psychiatrist friend says that she deals with it frequently in her practice particularly when someone feels depressed. She says the amount of despair and false guilt results in a feeling of deep chasm between the person and God. The person feels that no one cares about him or her. And since no one cares, God must not care either. God seems to have left such a person to themselves. When things are going well, the Christian life can simply plot along. But how are you and I to press on with our faith when things are not going well? Feeling abandoned even by the very person we never thought we would feel abandoned by, God himself. This is what our psalm deals with. And through this psalm, it gives us the words that you and I need so desperately to pray in such circumstances. It teaches us how to pray and how to find God in our darkness. And there are three things that we're going to be considering this morning from our psalm, three aspects of what does it mean to pray to God in times of despair. And so the first is this, our psalm encourages us to offer 
prayers of complaint. Prayers of complaint. And by modeling this for us, God's word teaches us that God wants us to tell us exactly how it is. As we read just then, our psalm opens, How long, O Lord, after the introduction to the choir master of Psalm of David, it says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? To appreciate the sheer weight of these words, it's actually worth considering just for a moment the person who wrote this psalm, King David, as our title suggests. Today in the 21st century, we live in a world of influence, marketing, social media, advertising, posters, the music we listen to and more. There are people even who you might call social media influencers. They have web pages set up where they might have thousands of followers, if not millions of people following them on social media. Well, in biblical terms, you might say that David can act for us a bit like that modern-day social media influencer in the sense that his opinion matters and is to influence us and be a God-given positive influence on us. And so actually we should come under his wing, allow ourselves to be influenced by him in a positive way this morning. Why is that? Well, just look at his testimony throughout Scripture. He's a man who went through from humble beginnings, a shepherd amongst the sheep who became great. You could say he was a giant in the Old Testament. Many of the Old Testament speak of him or written by him, including our psalm. He received a specific and special covenant promise from God, the Davidic covenant. He rose from humble beginnings to become the king of Israel, and he even defeated a giant. Famously. Now, of course, you and I ought not to see him as superhuman. David was still a deeply flawed individual, much like the next person. He certainly wasn't Jesus. But actually, when you think about it, it is amazing that it is this David, one of these central figures of the Old Testament, that wrote this psalm. It was this same king who wrote these words before us of utter despair, of feeling abandoned by God. I mean, I think that's kind of incredible when you think about it. Now, we don't know exactly the specific situation that caused David to write these words. But it was certainly a very difficult situation that seemed to have been lasting a long time. Such an experience left him feeling like God was kind of at a distance and not present with him in his struggles. The man after God's own heart here is feeling abandoned. For us here today, the, the bottom line is this. If David is allowed to pray prayers like this, then you and I can too. I wonder if this is something that you find easy or difficult to do, to let the emotional floodgates burst forth in your prayers. 
when things go wrong, often the human instinct is to appear to kind of have it all together. Maybe someone asks you, says, wow, that experience must have been really tough. How, how are you going? But then comes your response, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm all right, is your response. When deep down you know that that's kind of a lie and that you're not really fine at all. Our culture even recognizes this same human reaction to struggles with the promotion of Are You OK Day for, for suicide prevention. It can be hard to take that step and open up, even to open up to God. This requires vulnerability. In times of despair and brokenness, I wonder if you're willing to take that courageous step and speak your heart openly to God. God invites you and I to do this. Don't allow anything to get in your way. Don't allow pride maybe to stand in the way or the fear of God's backlash or disapproval of, of him, thinking that he's just um, not approved of you. Nor being embarrassed of the mere thought of expressing one's true thoughts and feelings to your maker. Why? Because God's people have a Father in heaven who cares for you. If you are God's child, God says, come, bear it all. My shoulders are wide and strong, able to carry the load that you put on them. Such a response is a response of relationship. As you walk through the ups and downs and the darkness of this world with your creator by your side. Will you, with courage, step out in faith and complain? Complain to God. He already sees it all anyway. So why hide it from him? So that's the first thing that we learn from David here, that we are able to complain to God, bear it all before our maker. The next thing that we learn from David is to not only complain, but also he models for us to cry out to God in prayer. Prompt, uh, as we urgently ask God to step in and help us. And by doing so, we make the critical step of moving, beginning to move away from self towards God. We see this beginning to occur in verse 3. It says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Lest I sleep the sleep of death. What a solemn statement. David was pretty low here, to say the least. Maybe it was King Saul relentlessly chasing him that made him pen these words. Or some other battle or dangerous situation that he found himself in. We simply don't know. But notice that critical shift that David has made now here in verses 3 and 4. No longer is he simply wallowing in his misery. He is now imploring God to act. In today's world, you might hear of critical junctions or critical turning points. Maybe it's a turning point in a company whose profits skyrocket rocket because of a popular product that has gone well. Maybe there's a key turning point in an AFL game, that one goal that changed everything for the rest of the game. Or maybe you can think in your own life a turning point that you've had 
where there's been a particular experience that has, has changed everything for you. And it has been a key turning point in your life. Well, there's similar turning points that need to happen in our prayers when we pray in times of despair and abandonment. And David exemplifies that for us here. It's when we turn away from yourself and your own struggles and begin to turn towards the Lord of the universe for help. For any Christian who is not currently in the depths of sorrow, I think it's kind of easy to be kind of glib about what we read here. To think, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense, of course. Of course I'll turn to God when I'm facing my struggles. Until the day that you find yourself in that very situation and the reality hits home hard. Such times have the capacity to break or shake one's faith to the very core. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, preacher and pastor Tim Keller, uh, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And he wrote an article, of course he wrote an article, describing his own wrestles of faith when he was faced with the possibility of his own death. What he had counseled and taught to so many others was now something that he was having to attempt to put into practice himself. Would he continue to persevere? Or would his faith buckle under the pressure of his suffering like he had witnessed in some others who he'd counseled over the years, who simply gave up and turned away? Well, like David or Tim Keller or any other person, Christian or otherwise, times of despair reveal something about the inner workings of our heart. It exposes us. It brings to the surface what we truly believe about God, about ourselves and about the world that we live in. And so, yes, fellow Christian, you have full permission in such times to complain to God the Christian ought not merely stay in that place. The call is for us to exercise our faith, faith and find God in our sufferings. And it requires us to call out to him for help, knowing and believing in that moment that there is a God on the throne, a heavenly king who is not only powerful enough to help, but also caring enough to want to help. In other words, it is to take the bold step of faith to believe that if you are a child of God, the mere presence of suffering does not mean that God is against you or has abandoned you. In such times then, through David's words, God is gently prompting you and I to have the same attitude of faith as David. In such times, will you be prepared to take that step, to experience that key turning point? Point away from God and towards away from self and towards God. Lastly, from our passage, we learn how to pray a prayer of comfort from our psalm. A prayer of comfort. A prayer of comfort that has the promises of God at its very foundation. Promises founded and built upon Christ himself our prayer ends in verse 5 and 6 with a defined but i 
you and I will all probably know a child or two or ten that says these very words when they're asked to eat their dinner. But I won't, they exclaim with a huff. Well, David here commits his own act of defiance. Defiant trust in God in the face of suffering. But I, cry out, cries out David, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Wow. What a high note to end on. But is it even possible? I mean, really, David? You are in the depths of despair. Where has this renewed hope and even joy come from? Are you kind of just putting it on for us to sound all holy and righteous for us here? No, he's not. It's genuine. It's heartfelt. It's real. How? How does he do this? Because he remembers who God is and what promises what he promises to do for his people. God is a covenant-keeping God. God is a God who is in the business of saving his people. I don't know, maybe Moses' song came to David's mind. Exodus 15:13. There it says, You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Maybe the Abrahamic covenant came to mind and the promises that God will set up a kingdom through a seed, through a person. Or maybe if David wrote this later in his life, God's own covenant with David came to his mind. David knew that just like God had saved his people in the past, God promised to save his people in the future. And as David reflects on this, his soul moves from erratic prayer to calm repose. And there's actually a beautiful poetic device in our psalm that, that just beautifully shows us this. For the verse 1 and 2, is starts with five lines, and verse 3 and 4 goes to 4, and then our last two verses is only three lines. There's it, almost as if David is saying to us and showing us through this that he goes from this blubbering mess in the beginning. Now his soul has been transformed into a tranquil and peaceful oasis. This transformation through such prayer is possible for the Christian. Not because we must muster up enough strength in and of ourselves, but because we, restrength, we receive strength from above through Christ. For as we turn away from self to God, we receive strength from God. As Christians, we stand in a much more privileged position than even David did. For we stand this side of the cross of Christ, which is the key turning point of human history, <coughs> where God's promises became fulfilled. <coughs> We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him, in Christ. For it was on the cross where we meet our suffering Saviour, on whose shoulders rested the sins of the world. 
and where God's steadfast love and salvation was declared boldly and loudly and clearly to the world. It's on the cross where we meet someone who felt exactly the same way. (laughs) Abandoned by God, he, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cried out at Calvary. Jesus didn't cry out these words because he was severed from the Father on the cross. That would be to misunderstand and misrepresent the Trinity. Nor because the Father was in any way displeased with the Son. No, the Father could never be more pleased with his Son on the cross. For it was out of pure righteous obedience that he hung there. Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus' death on the cross was a plan from eternity past in complete agreement within the Trinity. Just before he went to the cross, Jesus said in John 17, 24, Father, I desire that they also, who you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. The prophet Isaiah cries out in Isaiah 53, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. In Acts chapter 2, verse 23, the apostle Peter exclaims, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. On the cross then, Jesus was not severed from the Father. Nonetheless, his suffering caused him to feel abandoned. In other words, Jesus too on the cross had to put into practice the same truth, the same theology he declared to others. Knowing that by going to the cross obediently to his Father's will, he was securing eternal salvation to all who believed in him. God was with him even when he became sin for us and drank the cup of God's wrath. For our sake he was made to be, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, Paul declares in 2 Corinthians. In the depths of despair and suffering, will you look to your suffering Savior for strength? For when we are reminded of the eternal life and salvation already secured for us in him and the suffering that he willingly endured for us, hope, yes, even rejoicing, begins to rise in the deep, dark recesses of our heart. It's then we can declare in our hearts and with our mouths the same words that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And so I ask you, fellow church girl, this morning, do you know this same hope that is found in Jesus for yourself? This hope that rises up in your heart? Rejoicing in the hope of resurrected life beyond this life. Have you had that ultimate turning point for yourself in your life? That turning point of accepting Jesus into your heart. 
casting your burdens of your sins and your worries and all your concerns on him. That is what is on offer in the gospel. Not an empty or hollow hope, but one that is rock solid, built on the rock of Christ himself. I hope that gives the true believer supernatural strength through the Holy Spirit to pray and find God even in the depths of despair. If you are here today and you don't know this hope for yourself, and will you turn to the suffering Savior and find it? And in faith, surrender your life to him. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, it is so difficult to read these words and especially in the face of suffering, to find you. Father, we confess that we might one day feel and think that our faith is strong and yet the next find it crumble before our feet. But Father, we thank you that it is not ultimately up to us, but your work in us that, that counts and makes a difference that in Christ you have chosen us before the foundation of the world to be your people, and that nothing, not even death itself, can separate us from you. Father, when we do face suffering and when we walk beside those around us who are suffering, help us to recall these precious words that you've given us here in Psalm 13. Thank you for the permission to bear it all before you, to lay it at your feet, the feet of Jesus that your shoulders are broad enough to take it, that we can tell you exactly how we're feeling and how we're feeling even towards you. Thank you that you offer that deep relationship, spiritual relationship with your children. And Father, we thank you afresh for the hope of the gospel, that no matter what darkness we may face in this life, at the cross it was declared defeated. And when you return, we'll be defeated in all aspects and to the nth degree. Father, as we journey each day in this life, may we be people of prayer. Fixed on your steadfast love and your salvation. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.